Welcome to Spotlight. I'm uh, Bruno Alves, Senior Editor for Infrastructure Investor. In a world of rapid technological development and exponential change, it's becoming more difficult to plan for the future, and likewise, to make good investments that will stand the test of time. This is particularly true in infrastructure. Ben Hammersley is a futurist and editor at Wired magazine. It's fair to say he was one of the highlights at our recent Global Summit in Berlin, where he advised investors on how they too can become futurists. He also told them how they should approach long-term investment in a fast-changing technological landscape. Hammersley began by discussing Moore's Law, the principle that every year the amount of computing power you can get for a set amount of money roughly doubles. It's a principle that's often invoked in a range of technological fields. Now the problem with it though is for a futurist or for somebody who has to make strategic decisions, um, it genuinely serves, gives us a big problem in that exponential growth, that doubling and doubling and doubling of capability, and we see that not just in processor power, but in every other bit of technology, batteries and screens and bandwidth and all those other things. Because it's an exponential growth, it's very, very difficult for us to conceptualize in our heads. We're very, very bad at dealing with doubling numbers, which means that our forecast horizon, which is how far in advance we can think and still be relatively sensible, has actually shrunk quite considerably. Futurism and scenario planning, the job that I do, um, was invented in the 1960s by the Rand Corporation in Santa Monica, who, which is about a mile up the road from where I live in, in LA. And when they were doing it first, they were doing it about nuclear weapons, and their forecast horizon was 25 years. And 25 years was pretty sensible. Today, however, mostly because of the internet and modern technology, a sensible forecast horizon for really any form of prediction is roughly three to five years. If anybody comes to you with a, with a solid forecast around how the world will be in more than five years' time about anything other really than climate, anything other than climate, they are totally bullshitting. And that's a real problem. Because what we've realized is that technology and all of the other things around it interact with culture and society in a way which feed off each other. And so as futurists, and congratulations, you now are all futurists, we have to deal with this interdependent co-arising of change. It's almost a Buddhist term, right? This idea of a, that technology and society and culture change each other and in so lay the ground for the next series of changes. So in your jobs, as you're trying to make investments into infrastructure, which is going to last for a very long time, predicting, thinking about what the world will be like halfway along the lifespan of that thing is very, very tricky. But there are some ways you can do it. Hammersley noted how a few years ago, so-called hoverboards became very popular for kids around Christmas, and the technology became cheap enough that knockoffs started pouring out of Chinese factories. Fast forward a few years, and similar technologies have evolved to make dockless scooters a major fixture in some cities. This is like your daily commute. Now this technology, something that's happening right now, is fundamentally changing infrastructure questions in the cities that they're being introduced to. Because as these get more and more popular, and more and more people use them for their daily commute, 
It changes the decisions that people have to make around roads and around parking and around shopping centers and all those sorts of human behaviors. So we can start to see this. We can go from the Christmas present that you wanted a few years ago and extrapolate forward and say, well, that technology is rubbish. But when it gets good, as it will, because that exponential growth curve continues to grow, then we're going to have something like this. And when this arrives, it's going to start changing the way that cities operate. And when it changes the way that cities operate, it's going to change the needs of that society, because technology and society and culture feed off each other. But of course, this technology is not standing still. Another example he invoked is the new Segway Lomo, a personal transportation device that uses cameras and artificial intelligence. When he walks his daughter to school, the device is able to recognize and follow him as it carries her along. Now that's pretty cool, but the really, it's very cool to take my kid to school on her personal robot. All of her friends think she's really cool. But what's really useful about Lumo is that I can take Lumo out myself and we can go shopping and then I can, buy a, I can load my shopping onto the Lumo, and Lumo will follow me home as I'm drinking my coffee and just walks behind me. Now, for a hipster futurist who lives in Venice Beach, that's pretty cool in 2018. But if you extrapolate forward, as you're learning to do as futurists, you'll realize that this is a very cool piece of technology, for example, in an aging population. Because older people who would still like to be independent but have to go to the shops to buy food but can't carry the food home could have a robot which could do that for them and follow behind them like a sort of, like a grocery carrying dog or something, right? So this technology is available today. And so your job as futurists is to look at these technologies out on the streets around the world and think forward, think of the implications in two, five, and 25 years time. In two years time, the implication will be, that will be a cool thing that I might want to buy. In five years' time, it might be, that'll be a cool thing that I might want to buy for my aging parents, and I'm going to have to make sure that their front door doesn't have a step. So I'm going to have to change like that. But in 25 years' time, as that technology becomes trivial, as it becomes super cheap and super common, people who run shopping malls or airports things like that, where you're going to have luggage which follows behind you automatically, they're going to have to make sure that their shopping malls and airports don't have any steps. So there are these deeper implications. Similarly, Hammersley cited recent research that found having people in closed meeting rooms with no windows for extended periods of time raises the level of carbon dioxide to the point that it starts inhibiting cognitive function and decision-making ability. This explains a shit ton of things, right? <laughs> right? But as that knowledge becomes more and more out there, if you're looking for office space, you're going to want office space where you can open the window. Or at least get fresh air in. And you're going to want sunshine, because we're realizing that sunshine is incredibly important. And all the other things that are people are realizing are incredibly important in order to protect the ability to think clearly in order to have the ability to, to indulge in people's lifestyle concerns and generational climate concerns as well. 
And so right now, if you're making an investment in buildings, which are going to be there for 20 or 30 or 40 years, you have to think, of course, not only of the tenants today, but the tenants in 20 years' time. And the tenants in 20 years' time, what's going to be important to them? Well, what's going to be important to them are things like, how do I think clearly when I'm working alongside artificial intelligences? And at that point, in 20 years' time, people will realize that some of the things which are today celebrated are actively hindering them. So environmentally sealed buildings make you stupid. Open plan offices very, very much make you stupid. The environmental psychology of the open plan office is terrible for innovative thinking. We're realizing this now. Which means that if you're investing in a building which can only be made into open plan offices, in a few years' time, you might have trouble getting tenants. As people start to realize, and as the society changes around you, and the knowledge of this becomes more and more common. And so we need to end the same thing for climate and carbon and all these other things, which right now are small signals, but as they get bigger and bigger, they impact on the sorts of things that you're into. So I'm not saying things have to be perfect, but I think that the, but you have to make your, the stuff that you're investing in and the way that you work yourselves to be adaptive, have the ability to change. Now, of course, this gives us, brings us up to the real problem. How do you make sensible decisions that will enable you to be adaptive if it's true, the thing I said right at the beginning, which is your forecast horizon is actually very short. As I said, I, I, I work as a futurist, but the vast majority of my corporate clients, I wouldn't really call myself a futurist, really. I would call myself a, a presentist. You know, when outside in, in the streets in Berlin, it's, it's 2019. Inside in the corporate headquarters, it's 1973. And some of you probably, well, most of you probably work in companies which don't live in the present day. Um, if your boss has their emails printed out for them by their secretary, for example, they live in 1998, and that's cool, but that, you know, we have to deal with that. If you have a fax machine, <laughs> I mean, you might as well have a pigeon as well, right? Like, So the, really, the only way for you to become, to, to be able to, adopt, to adapt to the future is actually to get yourself right up to the present. He says one exercise to help envision what the future might look like is what he calls the grandparent game. This is a really good game. To, it's a good game to play this evening over dinner, right? Um, which is, you'll probably all agree that to a greater or lesser extent, your grandparents, and certainly your great-grandparents, had social or political views which you today find abhorrent, right? Chances are great-grandmother was mad racist or whatever, right? And, you know, family dinners are sometimes a bit awkward because of this. If you want to think clearly about the way society is changing, which you have to do because you're making these long-term investments, then the game to play is to think, what of my beliefs will my grandchildren find completely abhorrent? When I am 
you know, 90 and riding around on my AI-driven hoverboard and screaming at the toaster, Marmite! You know, that, right? What will my grandkids, what will they be embarrassed about? And when you have this conversation tonight, or if you have it in your own head, you'll find that actually most people will start to agree on the same few things. When you do this, it's, uh, it's usually eating meat uh, to the levels that people do it, uh, uh, owning your own car, having, having a petrol engine, uh, use of plastics, uh, not understanding about the microbiome, uh, and, uh, vaccines, uh, not you know, being against vaccines. And so it's a very powerful sort of cognitive technique. And it's different from cultures to culture, but if you've ever eaten an Impossible Burger, it's terrifying because you always send, it, the first time that people eat them, they send them back because they genuinely don't believe that it's vegetarian, right? And that sort of company, or the companies that are doing microbiome research, things like that, those are the real futures. And things like when we build a shopping mall, how much parking, how much parking spaces do we put outside it, which is a fundamental decision, right? When you play the grandparent game, you go, no parking, train station, or buses, or whatever, right? Or, or bicycle parking. Because in 20 years' time, all those parking lots will be like weird desert relics of this bygone time that people are kind of ashamed of for the climate reasons. That again was Ben Hammersley speaking at the 2019 Global Summit in Berlin. If you want to hear more episodes of the Spotlight podcast, you can now find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, and across PEI Media's various titles online. With Infrastructure Investor, I'm Bruno Alves. Thanks for listening.